welcome. We are the So What Do You Do podcast, and we're your hosts. I'm Joyce, and this is Jen. I I remember on the previous episode, we were talking about switching it up. So one of these days, we're going to do one where I say I'm Jen, and then you say Joyce. Well, and that's that's kind of you to say it that way because the reality is that my brain literally melts every time I do the intro and I want to say that my name is Joyce. And I have to like – it's like – you okay, I'm now going off topic, but um, do you, it, it's like – um, it's just like a, a tick that I want to like just say it. And it uh-huh. reminds me of – and I don't know if you've ever gotten this. Have you ever like held a fountain drink or like a drink – and you just want to like throw it against the wall. Like you oh just have gosh. an urge where you just want to like chuck it against the wall. Do you ever get that? No, I don't. But I know I've no. heard of this. Like it's like my friends have to said this. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of like that where I'm just like, I just have this urge to say I'm Joyce. I have an urge to just like throw uh, uh, and it's always a fountain drink. It's never like a can of soda. It's never a glass. Oh. It's like a fountain drink in a cardboard cup with a mm. little plastic top. I just want to mm. chuck that right into a wall. It, what about like a know. glass of wine? No. Would you would never do you, spill you don't wine. feel like that? Okay, okay. No. <laughs> I just think about I that because like wine. like Bravo shows or like reality shows where they're like constantly throwing wine. That's like a thing, right? So Well, that kind of reminds me of I I would want to flip people off just as instinctual reaction. And I feel like tossing wine in someone's face is equivalent to flipping someone off. And I just don't, it doesn't like, it doesn't click for me to do that though. It would be Mm -hmm. like two seconds too late and then it would be awkward. Mm. Okay. So I know we're a little bit off topic, but as a performer, do you have that, do you have that like tick to like say one thing as opposed to like maybe something that like you should be saying? Like, is that like a common thing when you're performing? I don't know. Cause like with improv, I don't need to be saying anything, but I will say this. I've done mm-hmm. some stupid stuff in I- auditions. So like with improv, <gasps> Ooh, you're making things up. Well, no, well, I mean, like I can't even, they're so like, they're so embarrassing and bad. And I am usually <laughs> one to share everything, but there's been some things where I'm like, why did I say that? Like, it's almost like borderline, like, I I feel offended that I said that. But other oh, times, no. it's just really bad. And I'm like, what is coming out of my mouth? Why am I doing this? Because like, Gosh. okay, um, Prescott and I, we both did improv in Chicago. And one of the things in Chicago is like Second City. And they had right. like, you could be on one of their touring, touring co's. But you could also get on one of their boat ships, which meant you were on the touring co on a cruise ship. And Prescott uh, was booked to do that. And he did his like three-month tour. But then they – it was well known that they liked couples because Uh like they only have to like give them one room. So I had like a golden platter. Like, (laughs) here you go. Like they want you. They want you. And I – Boofed it. I did. I still remember the stupid shit I said in that audition. And um, oh my so, gosh. needless to say, I never was on a Second City cruise. Ship. Still, that, like that's like like I just feel like doing any sort of improv, any sort of comedy. Like you always run that risk of like like saying something that like 
you didn't quite want to say, or like, you know, you have to think very quickly on your feet. So like, that's, that, that, I, I don't know. I think it's still so incredible that you are able to do that repeatedly. I do have one that I'm willing to share that now that okay, I just thought about it. it. Um, one of my improv teams, we were booked to do a show at a fundraiser for <laughs> like an animal welfare, something or other. And I don't think it was explicitly said to like not do anything weird in the improv scenes to animals. Um, oh, but no. at the end of it, okay. I shot a monkey. Like I what? like it, that's how like the well I mean like it's improv so it's like but a character one of my teammates was acting like a monkey and I ended its life and that was the <laughs> end of the show and it was like literally the one thing we weren't supposed to do <laughs> so <laughs> oh um, so that, oh that was amazing and, and it, it was like an <laughs> animal welfare kind I, of thing. It was an animal fair, and, and my one friend that was in that show, he still brings it up. He's like, hey, remember that time where you um, shot a monkey in the face at the end of a show for a <laughs> fundraiser for animal, like, rights and welfare? I'm like, <laughs> so, and I mean, if you don't know what improv is, it sounds like I may have murdered a monkey, but it's all make-believe. It's adults it's pay thousands of dollars to learn how to make shit up and no then, no then they animals do... were hurt in the creation of this animal. no animals were hurt oh my goodness oh okay. my goodness okay my, well there's a segue there there is definitely a segue there <laughs> well make, make it happen um, Joyce animals <laughs> animals saving animals let's see there's love of nature I, I'm sure there's something there I'm like I'm it's close it's close but I guess I'll just bring on the guest. Um, so I will, I'm very excited to, <laughs> to introduce our guest today. Her name is Jennifer and um, she works with nature. That's the connecting point, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, because I can't like close this segue, I will let Jennifer come on and introduce herself. <laughs> Yay, Jennifer. Yay. Hello. Not, not all of our guests get an intro about, uh, you know, violence. Improv monkeys. Yeah. Improv. So. <laughs> yeah, this was, this was so quite honored. a different path. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, Jennifer, great to have you on with us. Um, why don't you introduce yourself and what you do? Yeah. Hey, everyone. My name is Jennifer, and my job title is postdoctoral researcher, which basically means a short-term research position. Um, and right now I'm studying coral genomics and genomic diversity across space in a coral reef in Curacao. Um, and I'm doing this at a museum called the California Academy of Sciences in San Francisco. Mm. Very nice. Very nice. See, okay. there was a nature already I'm writing... It was. It was. Um, so, okay, I'm just going to jump in. The first thing that comes to mind, and I, I feel like this is very surface level, is do you get to do – do you get to travel as a part of this job? I do, and that's probably the thing that got me into this field in the first place. Uh, so 
I've been able to go to Curacao, which is the field site uh, mm-hmm. that my lab studies these corals in. Um, but the really awesome thing about ecology and evolution is that you are studying natural populations often, and the best way to see what these organisms are doing is to go visit them in the wild. So that was a big draw for me in entering this occupation was the ability to be able to travel for work. Yeah. Which is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And did you, and did you know that you wanted to go into like focusing on the coral specifically or was that like? Uh, not necessarily. So I guess the origin story is that I grew up in San Diego and so I was very close to the beach and the ocean and that was the ocean was always a place that I found really exciting and interesting because you could stick your head underneath and you never knew what you were going to see. Mm. Um, and then my favorite subject in school was biology. And so mm-hmm. the natural marriage of that was marine biology. Um, and I'd say most of my travels and research has involved various types of fish. Um, whether that be freshwater or uh, marine fish. Um, And so this is my first like official time studying corals um, now as a postdoc. So are you in the overall umbrella of marine research and you can break off into specifics like coral or fish, um, but your research doesn't generally go beyond marine? Um, yeah, I'd say most, I fall under the category of a marine biologist, Mm. but I'm most interested in the questions that I'm Mm. studying and asking about what kinds of evolutionary processes are going on in a system and what kind of patterns does that result in. And those are questions that all types of like doesn't matter if you're studying terrestrial marine or freshwater fish like all of those questions always apply to these different systems but i just happen to like marine things and so mm-hmm. most of the research has stayed under that category got it so so you you did you say that you um are like a marine biologist is that kind of like your formal education and title and profession Yeah, I can be called a marine biologist, um, but I guess there's not too, some universities will call it marine biology and some will just call it like general biology or Mm. often the like bigger umbrella term, I think, uh, for departments is something called like, or some version of ecology and evolutionary biology or like uh, sometimes behavior is thrown in there, but usually mm. ecology and evolution is kind of the general uh, field, I'd say. Mm, that's I'm being, wild. I'm, I'm feeling very, like, as I'm hearing you talk about this, it feels like the uh, field that you're in is just super wide, right? Like you have a ton of different ways that it can be interpreted. There's probably a ton of different research um, and 
I know nothing about the entry point to this because I imagine that, and I, I want to talk about your education because I'm it, it definitely sounds like you have your fair share of education. But like, once you have that, what's your pathway to doing the work that you're doing today? Um, I guess a lot of training in general. Um, and so it kind of depends on where you want your career to go, I'd say. Mm. Um, oftentimes you'll need like a master's or a PhD to be able to proceed in your career in this field. Mm -hmm. Um, but the types of jobs you can do are super variable. So if you just want to be like a lab manager or kind of a field researcher, you probably don't need a PhD. Mm. But if you want to be in charge of a lab group um, or kind of do your own independent research, then you most likely need a PhD. Um, but that's mostly within the academic setting. Yeah. And you can also work for government or um, nonprofits or... Um, like other institutions, like yeah. you can also branch off into kind of biomedical. Um, a lot of and the tools it, can be applied similarly. Is there like an Indeed or do you go on LinkedIn or where is it that you're finding <laughs> these jobs? That's a great question. I'm still <laughs> trying to figure that out. Uh, but for... Um, Mostly academic jobs, there's this like huge Google Doc or Google Sheet, I guess, um, where people will input jobs that come out. So these are jobs that like universities have posted um, and somehow it gets all collated into this Google Sheet. Um, do you know who like runs it? I do not, um, but it this feels like probably find out. Yeah. yeah, it's like this like you know, database of all the jobs and some higher power is just filling, like maintain, I mean. Basically. Yeah. Um, so there's that, which is most often used for like professor type jobs, mm. um, for field tech jobs or like seasonal temporary jobs. There are job boards that people will post to like one is, uh, I guess actually the general thing is like, uh, there's professional societies, um, either for ecology or evolution or conservation, and they often have job boards. So mm. I look on those, uh, and then surprisingly Twitter, well, I think threads there's less now. now, but Twitter, I'm not on threads. Uh, no, I'm not either. You know, I'm just saying the inevitability. It's going to be. But that is that is surprising. Yeah. yeah. So Twitter is – people – science Twitter is a thing, and people will post jobs on there too. Wow. Wait. So my, my like, like my five-year-old self is, like, so giddy right now because, um, like – or maybe – older. I don't remember when Free Willy came out, but when Free Willy came out, I feel like everyone wanted to be a marine biologist and it was like a thing. It was like so popular. Everyone was like, I'm going to 
I'm going to like, like help ocean animals or like, you know, something. And, um, of like the majority of the people who said they wanted to grow up and become a marine biologist, very little, if any of the ones that I like know actually went on to do marine biology. So it's so exciting to like meet like someone who is actually like a marine biologist and like went through with it. Um, so I guess my first question is, did free Willie impact that choice for you? <laughs> uh, probably to some degree. Yeah. I still remember the scene where he's like standing on that little pier thing and then the yeah, whale jumps yep. over him. <laughs> yep. How many times so have I... you done that with whales now? Like, yeah, is exactly. that like a In Friday your, thing? During your research. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wish I did that every Friday, but I've done that yeah. zero times. Oh, dang. <laughs> Oh man, not even with the I mean, seal. They're or still anything. hoping, you know. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Okay, that Mostly was my first question. Uh huh. Oh, Jen, go okay. For it. Wait, I'm so sorry to go on a, a sidetrack. What's going on with the orcas attacking boats? Do you um, have the inside scoop of what's going on with that? I don't honestly, uh, okay. uh, but I mean they are called killer whales for a reason. So. Yeah. They're yeah. probably, you know, acting out some behavior that is related to their lifestyle. Okay. Yeah, All right. That's, that's I'll, I'll stop asking about those whales. That was my one and only question. Yeah. Sorry. I took us there with the free willy. But, you had um, other questions. <laughs> yeah. I had one other question about that. So, okay. Because, um, because I, like, as, like, a young kid, imagined this lifestyle as, like, a marine biologist is, like, playing with seals and whales and all that kind of stuff. Um, what would you say, like, how would you describe your like normal, like week, your normal day to day? Like how much of your time is actually like in the field versus like behind a computer doing analysis or like research or something like that? Yeah, I'd say the vast majority of it is behind a computer. Um, mm. Either reading papers, finding papers, or learning how analyses are run and trying to get them to work on data sets. Um, or, and surprisingly, like I spend a, quite a bit of time installing software, uh, which is like not what I'm trained in doing, but interesting. What's a lot of, of reading manuals and like trying to get the software on remote computers that we use to do a bunch of the analyses. Oh, oh. so it's like field computers and stuff that you're, is that, am I getting that right? Or what kind of software are you having to work with? Um, so for my stuff, it's a lot of software related to working with genomic sequences. Mm. Um, so usually we'll have a big computer that is housed somewhere and you just log into it. Um, and it has a lot more computing power than like your personal laptop, for example. Right. Um, and so it's great for setting jobs and then letting them run overnight. Uh, mm. But you have to kind of customize the environment or like whatever programs you want to use for the analysis. And there's thousands of programs that all do very similar things. So it's like a lot of testing out uh the kind of methods and seeing if it'll work with your data hmm. um it's kind of the that yeah i spend a lot of time doing that and i never thought i would be doing that <laughs> um but sometimes there's like you know we 
the lab I'm in right now uses a lot of technology. And so before we go into the field, there will be a lot of um, preparing gear, making sure gear is ready to travel that might involve downloading special software. Mm -hmm. Um, So sometimes it might be on field computers too. But I guess to put it into perspective, I went to Curacao for a month um, and that was like, there's barely any time to rest basically. So it's super tiring. And I would say... I'd spend over a year, definitely, probably, probably more than a year, just working with data that we brought back from Curacao, either Mm. trying to get DNA from the samples or sitting behind a computer and working with various software packages. Kind of in the same sense of software downloading wasn't something that you thought you were going to have to be doing a ton of. Are there any other hard skills, or I don't know if downloading software is considered a hard skill, but are there any other hard skills that are needed, either like you have to come to the job knowing them or you need to be able to learn them on the job that is applicable for your career? Because I'm thinking what you're talking about, it almost sounds like there might be technical coding involved. So I wanted to know, you know, what's the, what's the package of hard skills that you kind of need to know in this job? Yeah, coding is definitely um, something that's very beneficial for people doing research nowadays. Mm. Um, I use this language and software called R, Mm -hmm. um, which is very common for people in ecology and evolution, and I think also medicine to some degree. Mm -hmm. Um, But other common languages are Python and then depending exactly on what you're doing, um, at least for genomics, there's a lot of kind of bash scripting that's also Mm. really useful. Um, And I didn't learn any of this until I was in graduate school, but Mm. now kids in high school are learning it. So they'll be way ahead of me. Oh, wow. Well, I with ChatGPT, you're just going to be able to be like, hey, give me this thing. And then <laughs> yeah, that's, that's going to even the playing field with these Gen Z scamps. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that can definitely help. Uh, the other skill that I didn't think would be super needed in science, but actually is, is writing. Like how to make coherent sentences and arguments. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not really something I realized like earlier on in middle school, high school. Yeah. Even college really. So, um, but that's super important in research and science for writing grants um, to potentially fund your research, writing papers, because still the the like currency and research are published and peer reviewed papers. Right. Right. Hmm. Yeah. And I think um you kind of touched on a little like pockets of this so far, but would love to kind of hear your origin story. Like how did you get into hmm. this? Like what was your path to where you are now in terms of your career? Yeah. So um I guess 
like the growing up in San Diego and then liking biology, those were definitely kind of important experiences, I guess, or realizations in life. And then when it came time to picking a major in college, um, Mm -hmm. some advice that I was given was to not specialize too early. And Mm. so even though I was applying to some schools that had a a degree you could get in marine biology. Um, I chose to go to a school that didn't have a marine biology major, but just a kind of general biology major. Mm-hmm. Um, but then tried to take as many classes as possible that were related to marine biology. Um, and so that brought me to UC Berkeley. Um, and then I think I had in the summers, I applied for various internships. And so I think probably either guidance counselors or like somehow my mom had read about some of these internships too, somehow, I'm not really sure how she knew. Mm -hmm. Um, but I applied for some of these things. And I think those were also really important and kind of pivotal experiences for getting me into the field I am now Um, because they're like shortened summer experiences that allow you to experience the beginning of a research question to doing the research, to trying to analyze it, to kind of presenting it to your peers. And then I had several of those, fortunately, um, and these, they're commonly called research experiences for undergraduates. They're Mm. usually um, sponsored by the National Science Foundation, so you actually get paid and you receive housing for the summer. Um, And they're kind of like, like, even today, these research experiences or something similar to them are kind of like gateway things on CVs. Um, and like everyone who is interested in pursuing this kind of career, like needs at least one or two of those. Right. Um, and then, yeah, I knew I wanted to go to graduate school but I also knew I didn't want to go straight after undergraduate. So I took four years off and just did various, like tried to experience the world basically. That's Um, so cool. Mm -hmm. Either through field research abroad um, or working like for a nonprofit or doing AmeriCorps. I did two years of AmeriCorps um, that focused on, habitat restoration for fish, and then also kind of marine education and outreach. Um, And then after that, I kind of figured it was time to go to graduate school. So I tried to apply, and I knew I wanted to do something related to the ocean. Mm -hmm. And I knew I wanted to do something kind of related to global change. And then I got into a program at Rutgers in New Jersey, uh, looking at the genomics of this fishery species called summer flounder that 
people like to eat on the East Coast. Mm, is um, it good? It's pretty good, yeah. But it's it tastes like a flaky white fish. Ooh. Uh, nice. So if you fry it up in some butter, it tastes pretty good. Nice. Also, I'm um, hungry right now, so. I know, too. I was like, what's that thing taste like? Um. Yeah. Um, and then as part of that, like, I learned a bunch of genomic tools and techniques um, that are applicable to many other species besides fish, mm-hmm. uh, which is how I got into my current job, because I'm using similar tools and techniques that I learned in graduate school, but on corals. I see. I see. And um, can we talk a little bit about like that, the, how you do the genomics part? Because I know like what genomics is, but I don't know how it is done. Yeah. I don't know what genomics is, but I can get a sense of it. So, but I just wanted <laughs> for the record to say, I don't know what it is. It's just, um, so All living things have DNA in all their cells, and the DNA is made up of only four letters, um, A, T, C, and G. And genomics is just the study of the variation of these letters across Mm. individuals and populations. Mm. And so you're essentially just trying to understand how similar groups of individuals are to each other, how different they are, and what those patterns look like. And then once you understand the patterns, you can start inferring what kinds of evolutionary processes resulted in those patterns. So like, if you see that there's two groups, two populations that look pretty different, you might be able to infer that there is not as much gene flow or like movement of individuals and reproduction as you might like have previously thought. Hmm. And then the actual process of you. Yeah. How does one do that? How does one genomics? (laughs) How does one genomic? Yeah. Am I genomic scene right now? No, right? Um, I mean, I guess kind of, yeah. So the basic idea of it is um, you have to sample a lot of uh, individuals of a population that you're interested in. And so this Like, this is a big reason why we go into the field. Um, So we go to where the individuals are, and we might scuba dive or snorkel or whatever, go find those individuals and take a little um, clipping of them, basically. It's like clipping clipping a fingernail, basically. Um, It'll grow back, but the piece that we take, we can use to extract DNA from. Mm -hmm. And we do this for a lot of individuals across space. Uh, Sometimes that space is a couple of meters. Sometimes it's hundreds of meters. Sometimes it's in different, a different country. 
Um, and then you basically bring all those samples back to the lab and extract the DNA. So how do you, how do you do that? Like, how does one extract the it's DNA? It's a centrifuge, right? Or is you that do a part use of a it? centrifuge. Yeah, Ooh, I like to think of it as um, like molecular magic because oh. <laughs> honestly, it's like tiny volumes of whatever chemicals you're using and then Mm -hmm. you kind of hope that it works (laughs) oh but um to extract dna like you put the little sample in a tube and you basically grind it up or crush it up somehow so that's just Uh breaking up um the sample itself and then you add some buffers that kind of help stabilize it and then you add this there's different ways to do it, but the way I do it is you add this thing called protonase K, which basically pops the cell cell walls in the cell. Oh. And so then the DNA is floating around in the liquid. Hmm. And you do this molecular magic. It's like either the DNA is binding to various surfaces or it has washed through into the container you're capturing it in. Um, but you do this series of steps and in the end you have this little volume of liquid, which hopefully has your DNA of interest. And then you feed that into like a machine that then can like parse like the sequencing? Kind of. So once you have the DNA, you have to transform it into something we call DNA libraries, Okay. which basically means you chop it up, um, into smaller pieces and you attach like a first and a last name, if you imagine, um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. either end of the piece of DNA. Um, And you do this because often you're trying to sequence many individuals um, on a single sequencing run. And so if you attach these we call them indices, but if you attach these first and last names to the pieces of DNA, you know who th- that piece of DNA came from. Uh, and then you can throw all that DNA together onto the same sequencing run, and then you can parse it out back to the individual using those names um, later once the sequencing mm-hmm. is done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it, so it kind this, of sounds mm-hmm. like the the life cycle of this is you are out in the field, then you're in the lab, and then you're at the computer. Or are these are, are things happening simultaneously, or is that the order mm-hmm. of events? Yeah, that's the general order of events. Mm-hmm. Sometimes um, you might not need to go into the field. For example, if you're mm-hmm. working with old museum specimens those have already Mm. been collected and deposited and you're more just finding them in the collection and taking a small sample from the specimen Um, or maybe a collaborator sends you samples that they've already collected and how long does i mean i i'm sure that there's variables but how long does this process take for, and also I'm going to add on another question. It sounds like you are, you are doing the research based off of one posed question. 
And this is all to answer that one question. Uh, so please let me know if that's not how this all kind of gets started. But it sounds like uh, what I'm curious about is if that's the way it goes, how long does like the end-to-end -end process of researching that one question take? Like a hypothesis, you mean? E like, well, I think wasn't, and may maybe I should back up and ask and ask that first, which is. You were mentioning that uh, when you were doing the interning, you get to have the experience with having these questions that you're then going out and you know looking to solve. And so it sounds like with what you're doing with the coral, there's like a question that mm -hmm. you've been posed and that's what you guys are working towards. Uh, is that the right way of thinking about this research? Yeah, that's correct. So... Usually there's like one or two main questions that you're mm -hmm. really interested in that either someone else has developed in the case of the internships um, or that you develop yourself based on a lot of reading of the literature and what's previously been done and then kind of building on what previous research found, like what you're actually capable of asking given your resources um so yeah it's generally like one or two main questions that you're trying to answer and is this something that you uh like who's ever posing the questions is the order of events they do research they've done their reading they pose the question and could potentially get a grant from the work that they do on that then then that leads to the research yeah. Yeah. Um, so money is always the challenge in research, um, yeah. especially mm -hmm. ecology and evolution. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And so if you have this great idea, you will probably need to apply to multiple grants mm. to ask for that money. Mm -hmm. um, in order is that a part of the process that you do? Are you in, involved in that side of it as well, the grant writing? Uh, I have been, and yes, I am. Nice. Yeah, so my, I, like the job I have right now, I basically wrote for myself because it is funded off of a grant. I see. Interesting. I mean, there's just so, there, the, it could be just a, someone who is in a nine to five uh, startup job, looking at the grass is always greener, but it feels like there's so much <laughs> variety in what it is that you do. Like it feels very refreshing to say, okay, the first part of this process is you might be out in the field and then you're in the lab and then you're at the computer, but then, you know, you get inspired and you have another question down the line and you start it all over again. Like is, is it fair to say that it is, uh, there's good variety that keeps you interested or what's the reality yeah. of this overall <laughs> process? I think the ability to, I think it's a double-edged sword actually. So the ability to kind of do very different things as part of doing research is, I think is really exciting. And it means you'll never get bored because often you have multiple projects going on at various mm. stages of completion. Mm. Um, so I think that's really exciting. But then it can also be a bit stressful because you're trying to juggle 
all these different projects that are at different steps and you kind of have to be a like jack of all trades and master of none to be able to do the job um Mm -hmm. and so I think there are good things about it but also like yeah if any if you learn anything during a PhD it's like you you learn how to figure stuff out um which is needed for trying to get research done. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when you like talk with your friends who are not in research, it does sound super nice to be able to just kind of focus on one thing and like have security mm-hmm. in a job and a salary. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are kind of the downsides of being able to experience many different things all under one job title yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and when you're when you're doing like when you're focusing on like a specific project at a time like how much of it is like individual work versus like collaborative um I think it really depends on the project itself for the Mm -hmm. project I'm working on now with the corals it's mostly independent but then there's certain stages where you'll need to collaborate like for example going into the field um where people will help you collect samples um or if you have some results and you need feedback that's also another point in time where there's more collaboration Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then definitely writing the paper there's a lot of back and forth Mm -hmm. uh, with Mm -hmm. lab mates to -hmm. kind of refine and figure out the story that the data are telling yeah. Yeah. Like I, Jen asked earlier about like the hard skills and now I'm like starting to think about like all the different soft skills that you are kind of touching upon. Like they're, like you said, uh, Jack of all trades. There's a lot, there's a lot of just like breath that seems required. And like you said, making, ma- like figuring things out, like figuring things out like on your own too. Um, and so if for those, for those people out there who may be curious about like getting into this space what what are some like like personality traits or like more of the soft skills that you think would lend themselves well to like a long and successful career in this space um I think you definitely have to be curious and you have to like what you're doing um otherwise like I don't think anyone's really in it for the money because they would have left a long time ago. (laughs) Um, And I think problem solving also is a big factor. And I don't know how you teach that really. Um, Aside and like kind of related to it is also having grit, which I also don't know how to teach, but Mm -hmm. I think is a very important uh just like outlook in doing research because no matter how well you plan anything like it'll change right yeah and finding a way to overcome these problems or like things that are not in your under your control uh to be able to make forward progress um is a good skill. 
Is there a little bit of having a tough skin too? 100% yes. Like scientists love to criticize. So Mm. yeah. like, And um, I feel like they're very direct about it too. Like they don't (laughs) – they're not going to be like, hey, by the way, I don't think that that's actually right. I feel like a gleam hits their eye and they're like, I'm about to take them down, which maybe is just – pop culture showing what, but, but is that, I mean, I do imagine that there is a level of tough, uh, you know, you have to have a tough skin because you can't really be nice about these things. You need them to be a hundred percent accurate. So there's no room to kind of, you know, skirt, skirt people's feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it depends on who you surround yourself with. Like there's, Like, I think it is possible to be nice and give feedback at the same time. And that's something I think we're always trying to practice. But Mm -hmm. um, I had a thought related to that, which I'm trying to remember now. (laughs) Um, But now I feel like it's escaping me. Oh, no. Well, okay, wait. Let's – okay, I'm going to ask a different question, and then maybe it will come back. So you can literally just stop me in the middle of it. Um, So what's the general vibe of working in this type of job? Like is it – you mentioned that there it can be high stress at times, but is it one of those jobs where if there's a deadline, you're putting in 16 hours of work and you're burning the Mm. midnight oil? Is there consistency, like, you know, work-life balance? Like, what's well, – tell me more about what the general, like, feeling is of working in this type of career and, like, the work-life balance. Mm-hmm. I think there has – there is an ongoing shift in the culture of science um, mm-hmm. to have better work-life balance. And so I will – like if I have a deadline coming up and I can't move it, like I may work more than 40 hours a week mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. to complete it, but I will try very hard to not work on the weekends um, or work too late. Um, but I think for others, it kind of depends on your values like there's definitely some people in science who will be more cutthroat who will be working all the time but I think that just sets you up honestly to burn out yeah Mm -hmm. um and so I think yeah there are a lot more discussions happening about taking care of oneself taking care of one's mental health, like not having research be your entire life. Mm. Um, And if that's something that's important to you, like finding mentors and labs who also share those values, Mm. I think is important. Um, And so, yeah, I've been trying to, like, I think my lab's pretty good about that. Um, And I don't think I would want to be in a lab that is more cutthroat and intense um, because ultimately that means that the research is not fun. Um, 
in the interest of time, I think we need to switch over to lightning round. Um, so, Jen, do you have any lightning round uh, questions to kick us off? I do. And, yeah, this is the, the gauche part where I ask about money. Um, what <laughs> what kind – because I think a lot of people that are interested in this type of career, I mean, like a lot of these jobs that are like, oh, hell, that sounds amazing – there is sometimes a trade-off with how much you make. So I know it's probably variant to where you are, but I mean, is there a ballpark of how much someone could make if they go into this line of work? I think it's super variable, but Mm -hmm. I'd say as a postdoc, so in general, the longer you've been in a position such as a postdoc, you will make slightly more money the more years you've been in a postdoc. Mm. So I'm in my third year, third or fourth year of being a postdoc, and I make 66000 Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, from my fellowship, which doesn't take into account cost of living, which is another thing. Um, mm. But I'd say postdocs in general range from about maybe 50K to like, 90k if you're lucky but also super field dependent um yeah but i'd say for ecology and evolution that's probably the general range but more skewed to the lower end yeah and you said these are like shorter stints right so this is like not like a like like a 10-year sort of like timeline right uh correct yeah Mm -hmm. like most well, like the UCs won't let you be a postdoc for like over six years oh. or something like that. Um, and then probably other, there's probably rules at other institutions too, but probably most people don't want to be a postdoc for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I see. So then what, uh, that's my, that's my lightning round question. What, what do you do after you do postdoc? Most people try to find professor positions uh-huh. um, at a university, and sometimes they'll have to apply multiple times um, to get those kinds of positions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to go down that road, and so mm-hmm. I'm thinking about uh, government research jobs right now. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm just in the beginning stages, so basically applying. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. Does someone have oh, like exciting. a spreadsheet with all of the yeah. jobs for that one? The government <laughs> jobs? Uh, it's not as extensive, but some of those jobs do appear on that. It's I think it's called EcoEvoNet spreadsheet. Um, sometimes government jobs will appear on that. Those. Uh, that Google sheet. So fascinated by this Google sheet. It feels like yeah. folklore. Like, where, yeah. Where and start? Like Twitter. Yeah. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. But no <laughs> threads now. Um, threads now. Okay. Um, okay. Jen, what's Christy. something, and this is my last uh, lightning round question. What's something that drains you about the work that you do? Something that drains me. Hmm. Um, Well, every institution has their own bureaucracy. So I feel Mm -hmm. like figuring out 
how the system works at the institution you're at and then having to play those games is probably the most exhausting thing Hmm. that I have to deal with. Um, Because you always have to figure out like who the point person is. And sometimes that takes a long time. Um, And every institution is different. So figuring out who that person is and what the protocol is can take up a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And makes me not want to do it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So my last uh, uh, lightning round question. Um, I'm trying to make it a small question, but it's it's such an open ended question. It's about um, coral reefs and the sustainability that like. Um, the sustainability concerns about coral reefs and like, you know, we've been hearing about it for many years now. Um, And so as someone who actually like studies this, like, is your, I I guess like the question could be like, is your outlook positive, negative? Like, what are the things that you think could impact um, uh, that sustainability in a positive way? Um, I know that's a big question, but um, I had to, I had to ask something about this. Yeah. I definitely still have hope, um, but I think we'll need collective action to actually make a big dent um, in all the problems facing coral reefs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you might hear a lot about on the news, like how coral reefs are dying or like kind of very sad outcomes. And Mm -hmm. I think an important consideration is that usually life finds a way so like even Mm -hmm. though like some species will always do better than others Mm -hmm. and so I think that's the positive aspect in this like sad cloud is that (laughs) something will survive Mm -hmm. um And that there's, in corals at least, there's a lot of hidden diversity that we're just starting to recognize through Mm -hmm. these genomic techniques. Mm -hmm. And so there's still a ton to learn about which corals might be better at facing some stressors, um, like even individuals in the same population um, or populations very close to each other can exhibit very different responses And so there's a ton to learn, and I think that gives me hope. Um, And then, like, the I have hope in people also because a lot of people do think and understand that climate change is something. They're just not really sure what to do about it. Right. And so I I have hope because if people talk to each other – Mm-hmm. Um, like I think they might realize that we have a lot more in common than we might think on the surface and mm-hmm. like yeah. we have the technology and the capability to solve some of these big problems that seem super daunting 
And so it might take a lot of effort and a lot of back and forth, but I ultimately do think that we can do something um, mm -hmm. if we put our collective minds to it. Hmm. That's so hopeful. I love it. Um, and one final question. If there's like one thing that you would want any, like everyone listening to do to like help in this cause, what would that one thing be? I think probably just talk to each other. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Talk to each other about what you know, what you think, what you're worried about. Um, and how we might move forward. And do it on threads too. Cause you know, <laughs> <laughs> Twitter can be a little bit of a, other than job, like a just ample job opportunities for sciences. It can be a bit of a hellscape. That's true. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, I if you run into someone who, you know, is very dismissive, like you might make better use of your time by talking to someone else. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You don't have to like, you don't have to convert someone necessarily, but putting in the work to talk to people and everyone expanding each other's knowledge. Uh, it sounds like it's, that's where the value is. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Or I if someone's that. being a real jerk and they're saying, no, <sighs> you send them my way and I'll have nothing as far as factual information to give them, but I'll, I'll try to draw them down. <laughs> Jen will set them in their place. I'll set them straight. <laughs> okay, good to know. Um, okay, so this is actually a good segue to our final segment, which is around career advice. So this is um, a segment where we go around the room and share um, some career advice that is either something that we've held on to throughout our careers or something that is more top of mind that came up more recently. Um, uh, so Jen, do you want to yeah. get started? I honestly feel a little crazy because I can't remember if this is the advice I gave in the last one. So Joyce, tell me if this sounds familiar. Um, oh, no problem. I, I had an old boss who told me, you don't need to be an expert at everything to do your job, but you have to be dangerous in everything to be compelling. So what that really means is like that was uh, where I was trying to get into better understanding the data and I was feeling pretty overwhelmed about it and getting into SQL. And it was just a reassurance that I didn't need to know everything about SQL, but I needed uh -huh. to start knowing enough to be dangerous to maybe insert myself in conversations and get a little bit more like leverage where I needed it. So I, I always really liked that. The, and it just sounds cool. It's like, you got to be dangerous enough. <laughs> yeah, it sounds yeah. edgy. It, yeah, yeah very edgy. <laughs> So that's mine. <laughs> it appeals to Jen. It makes sense, the dangerous aspect. Um, uh, I can go next. Okay, so this is um, something that actually one of our very uh, loyal listeners brought up to me. Um, she and I talked about like something a, like a while ago that she reminded me of. So this is actually um, career advice that I gave to her that I forgot mm. that I gave, and she reminded me recently. So this is great. Um so the advice is um, basically we were talking about a situation where um, uh, someone was talk someone was talking about an opportunity and they felt scared to do it. They were like, "I'm scared to do this," um, and my immediate reaction to that was like, "If you're scared to do it, then you have to do it." And so mm -hmm. that's that's something that like that our listener friend actually like held on to, 
and um, reminded me of today. And I thought it was really interesting because first of all, I forgot that I said that. And, and second of all, I think it's great. I think I still stand behind it. Um, that like, you know, if you're, if, if something's kind of like, you know, like, um, like interesting you, something has your attention, something is like, um, like, like enticing you, but you feel a sense of fear around it. Um, I almost feel like you have to do it. Like it's, it, it, it's there for you to, to try and to do and to learn something from. So that was something that came up today for me. I nice. think that's good life advice in yeah. general. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although it, it is very uncomfortable to think about because it's like, yes. yeah, like jumping because into something that you're afraid of. Fear, fear is our body's way of telling us to not do something. So it is, right. it is a little hard to unpack that. But I think exactly. we've now like fear is kind of like, oh, don't touch that fire. But right. now everything scares the shit out of all of us. And so <laughs> you just don't know like what is real fear anymore. I'm in a really cool therapy session that's talking to me about what my emotions are supposed to be used for. So nice. I was just thinking about like fear is supposed to help you. But I think it's now in our current society making it hard for us to know what's up and down. Yeah. There's actually a great book on fear. Um, I forget what it's called, but maybe I'll drop it in the show notes later. But um, anyways, that's my uh, career advice. Um, Jennifer, what about you? I think mine is going to sound a bit cliche. um, Nice. But it's like find something you really enjoy or are passionate about and see where that takes you. Um, And I feel like Everyone says that, but it's at least served me well uh, mm. in my career trajectory. Um, and so maybe it's maybe someone else needs to hear it again. It's a good <laughs> reminder. And also totally. it's like it it I think just like hearing it, it's like, oh yeah, like that's a nice sentiment. But if you really apply it, you really yeah. do it, I do think that that's where it changes from like, oh yeah, that's a nice sentiment to like, oh yeah, my that really helps me focus on things that are important. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you've done it like throughout your, your journey too, like taking those years off and like just kind of following what, what interests you. And, um, and it seemed like that kind of segued nicely into like your current opportunity. And it it doesn't sound like it's something that was like, like, oh, planned out, like I'm going to do this. And then that leads to this. It's just kind of following that natural intuition. Yeah. And honestly, like a lot of the people that I met in these various internships or Mm -hmm. in graduate school, like I know I can call them up and Mm. maybe it hasn't, we haven't talked in a couple of years, but we'll be able to pick right back up where we left off. And I have a super fun story about this because, Mm -hmm. um, like just being in in the field and like being in like challenging environmental conditions i think draws people together and so you really mm-hmm. bond over these types oh. of experiences uh-huh and my fun story is that i was in new york city at a climbing gym recently and i ran into my friend who i hadn't seen in like 11 years when mm. And we had both worked in Trinidad, like, 
catching guppies um, <laughs> to study their ecology and evolution. And we just happen to see each other and be in the same place at the same time. But we hadn't really talked in over a decade. And it was just oh, wow. amazing to to have that like crazy connection. Uh-huh. Um, and then like catch up right there, then and there. At a climbing gym in New York City. Yep. <laughs> that's so crazy. Maybe that's part of the molecular magic that you were talking Ooh. about too. It's it works on Maybe. multiple levels. <laughs> Could be, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Jennifer, so much for all your time. This we've covered so many different topics and it's been really incredible just kind of like learning from you. Um, so yeah, thanks for your time and on on being a guest here. Um, we've had such a pleasure. Of course, thank you for having me. It was fun. Great. Um, then everyone uh, hold tight. Jen and I will be right back. Right back. And we are back. We just wrapped up talking to Jennifer, who is a postdoc researcher slash marine biologist. I was so excited about that, and I immediately thought free Willie, and I will never let that go. I didn't bring it up, but the thing I thought of was in Seinfeld, um, um, George says that he's a marine biologist on a date and he's lying and then he takes a golf ball out of a whale and he becomes like this hero marine biologist guy and then you know his lie comes back to catch him but that was what I was thinking (laughs) marine biologist I didn't grow up with Seinfeld so oh yeah yeah I like it was on like you know like on tv and stuff like that but I didn't really watch it um but oh my gosh I'm like I'm just thinking about how like I used to think that marine biologists were just like playing with sea animals all the time, like snuggling with sea otters all the time. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's like the dream job. Sea otters. This is, I wanted to be a vet for a while growing up, but then Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I think I can't reconcile the bummer side of that Mm -hmm, like you mm want to become it because you want to be near animals and you want to help animals but then it's right the the overwhelming feeling of not being able to help them all and Mm -hmm. I don't know I mean I don't know how it feels with coral but that's that's the only reason why I was ever hesitant about getting into any fields with animals is because I just I'm too sensitive of a person and I just knew I wouldn't be able to handle it sensitive oh. heart oh Jen, Jen mm, but would you do this Joyce um would you ever be a marine biologist a researcher a, a postdoc researcher um probably not I think I you'd would have to go be... get a PhD <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um and I don't know. It like when uh, when Jennifer was saying like yeah, you really have to like like what you're doing, and I was thinking yeah. like oh, what would I what would I like enough to be researching at that level on like a mm-hmm. um, on an ongoing basis because like 
the thing that about research that's really interesting to me is that like you're bleeding edge, right? Like you are leading the charge in terms of like specific mm-hmm. areas of study and like areas of research that are just like brand new. And so mm-hmm. um, that that's like, that's a lot, that's a lot of like, kind of like, I don't know, like the, what comes to mind for me is I would feel lonely. Like I would feel lonely kind yeah. of like figuring that out on my own. And I know there's like points of collaboration with like, you know, um, like writing papers and getting feedback mm-hmm. and like talking to other people in like adjacent sort of areas of study. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I love the collaboration part of my job. And so I feel yeah. like that that would be hard for me. And I'm not like a big traveler. So that's another thing. What about yeah. you? Um, well, my non-college degree having ass probably <sighs> wouldn't go back to college and then become a PhD student for anything. <laughs> so that usually counts out like the academic stuff. But uh-huh. I will say – I wish I would have known about these things when I was younger, right? Which like, things? I just like the the opportunities that you could go with your career if you stuck with something. Like, there's so many of these oh. jobs that I feel like to get into them, you have to decide at an earlier age that this is something that you're going to do. And I do feel that a bunch of things that maybe I would be interested in. I just can't imagine putting in that work from start to finish. And so, and I I do think that if I knew more about some of these careers, I mean, I was not a good student in high school. And I think part of it was because I didn't have any real reason to be good at it because it was like, oh, I'll go to college, but I didn't know what I wanted to get at college. But if it was you know, I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a marine biologist. This is the path that I need to take to get there. I mean, that's also a lot of pressure for a kid to like have to be thinking about that stuff. But still, these are, I mean, and this is one of the reasons why we started doing this podcast too, exactly. is like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, to to know what it takes to get into some of these careers. Because I do think that I, I do want to have a career that I travel a bit more in. and. Mm. The academics, I don't know. It all sounds very, and maybe I'm romanticizing it, but it just feels very serene and very one with oneself. Like your research, it feels Hmm. meaningful. I don't know. There's just a lot of it that I really do like. It's just the gateway to entry. Yeah, yeah. I could could see, yeah, like I can definitely see you enjoying this this side this kind this type of work because of the fact that like you know the writing side the research side research mm-hmm. side the analytical side like the problem solving side yeah. i could see it all um but yeah that it's got it that all. education piece yeah wait i'm curious though you said that you you kind of wish that you knew about these careers when you were going through college and making that decision what would you have high done high school no. Or high school, yeah. Like what like knowing what you know now, what would you have done? Well, it's really a matter of if there was something that really caught my interest, mm-hmm. then I would have been more committed to getting better grades, 
to Mm -hmm. focusing on my academics. But for me, it was just, it was really, I, I, I have a really hard time doing things for the sake of doing them. Right. And I just Mm -hmm. didn't see a purpose to all of it. It was like, yeah, to get into college, but I don't even know what I want to get from college. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, so that, that's all I'm saying is if I knew what, if I knew what the paths were and if something sparked me enough, like lawyer was always something that in my like mid twenties, early thirties, I was like, yeah, that would have been cool. I think I would have been good Mm. at that. I think I would have liked it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll just stick to yeah. my writing, my family. <laughs> and what else do I do? I mean, we oh, podcast. Oh, we got a podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we got, mm-hmm. you know, still keeping things fresh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I totally resonate with that. Like, I feel like, like at eighteen, like to have any sort of semblance of like okay, I'm going to pick this path. Like it just felt so yeah. like daunting. Like you're so unprepared. And like, and I remember feeling like, how do people know this? How do people have such like strong conviction around this? And like, obviously, you know, there yeah. are people who like go in with strong convictions and then like later find out, oh, maybe this isn't for me, which is like also fine. But, um, but yeah, I, yeah I, I do think about like how it would be it would have been different kind of like knowing more of like what the paths entail. And also like if I had a better sense of like, this is, this sounds exciting, right? Like, like you said, that spark. But it's, it's so hard. It's such a catch 22 because I, I also wonder if I didn't have a sense of self enough at that time in my life to Mm. know what would have been really exciting and fun. And so yeah. I mean, it's I think all you can be is open to learning about new things and yeah. but that's just it is again why we do this podcast is sometimes you just don't know what the jobs are out there. Like yeah, you, you take biology in high school and you're like oh, and, and you're like, "Oh, I like this, but what am I going to freaking do with this?" Like I don't want to be a biology exactly. teacher like that. You know, and so you don't know how to like yeah. You don't know how to bridge the gap between these yeah. more obscure jobs, uh, and and your interests. And I think that that's right. that's where the academia stuff is really nuanced and like confusing. I think, mm-hmm. but I mean, I still mm-hmm. think about Ethan, and he yeah. he didn't originally graduate high school, and he got his he GED, didn't. and then he just kind of like became a professor. Uh, yeah. So I guess every path is different. Exactly. Exactly. Um, during the, during the recording, I almost lost it because you, when you were talking about the fish, like how does it taste? And I was like, oh my gosh, Jen is on like this animal tear where she's shooting monkeys in the face and she wants to eat all the fish. (laughs) And then at the end of the podcast, I'm like, I want to be a veterinarian. I thought the most backwards, like I don't, I, okay. I eat meat. Because when I've tried to stop, I get really sick. Um, but I also won't kill flies in my house. I ca- <laughs> I capture them with a, a glass cup, but I will eat. No, I, like I don't. I I've like tried to like reconcile what this this moral quandary is because I just like <laughs> it's not the flies' fault that it's in my house. It didn't know what it's doing. 
But then it's like, it's not the animal's fault. It's being like mass produced. I don't know. This world is so crazy. I have Chipotle coming right now. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I love this episode. <laughs> oh my God. The running theme is so brilliant. <laughs> It's hypocritical oh, is what it is. Oh my, no, it's just so funny. <laughs> oh my it's, goodness. It is. It is who I am, you know? It is. Yep, yep. that. Yep, yep. Gotta you own just, it. Yeah, exactly. Embrace it. Embrace the full you. Ah. Anyways, shall we wrap? <laughs> we shall wrap. Let's wrap. We shall wrap. Let's wrap. All right. So this has been another episode of So What Do You Do with Joyce and Jen. Yay. Join us again next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.